0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Let me see, I'm John Verhoven, and I've worked as a cop, I was in forensics, I was in the air wing, world class, and I was a New South Wales firefighter, top shelf. Have I, have I left anything out? No, that's all I did. Oh, wait. Man, my dad and mum were exhausted from too much death destruction and adventure after years in the emergency services, they did something totally normal. They decided to run a funeral home. In this season of Loose Units, you'll find out what it was like to grow up with parents who ran an actual funeral home, prepared bodies, dealt with grieving families, and who confronted death on a daily basis. It'll be harrowing, thrilling, and loose. Welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious, the weekly podcast where an ex-cop and ex-forensics guy and ex-firefighter also tells his traumatised son about what it was like to run a funeral home in the 90s. This is episode 2 of Loose Units Dead Serious. I'm Paul Verhoeven, that's John Verhoeven, and Dad, a lot has happened in the past week or so. Do you want to bring everyone up to speed?
2: Does that sound good if I bring everyone up to speed?
1: Well, I mean, no one knows what that entails I mean, we're not
2: on a racing track, are we?
1: Well, no, no, no. Not as far as I'm aware. No. No.
2: no. Well, firstly, I'd like to say to the wonderful listeners that we normally record. Am I allowed to say what day we normally record on? Yeah, normally on Monday. Monday. Yeah. And it comes out after extensive, well, not extensive, but perhaps a little bit of editing. The exhaustive actually, if, is the word. Yeah. Well, it's not actually because
1: if only you knew, I have to I have to pitch you up because you're so deep voiced. I have to take out all the swear words. You keep breaking into song. That never happened. That never makes it through the edit. No.
2: No. Um, well, listeners, today, Mm. uh, I'm in Sydney, and it's a Sunday. It's the Sunday prior to when you all hear this, Mm. which
1: will be a Tuesday. And why are we doing it today, Paul? Good question, Dad. I think the honest truth is, you've had a lot going on, and you needed to sort of, you know, you needed a distraction, I think it's Mm, fair to say.
2: Actually, that's really, yep.
1: So, dear, dear
2: listeners, you know how I've always said that you actually couldn't write all this stuff? Um, Well, you could, but you probably be from inside some asylum well that's how the
1: book worked (laughs) you couldn't write this stuff says the guy who's got his son writing two books based on things he did yeah but (laughs) yeah but you're a writer paul i'm not oh so what you're saying is you couldn't write this stuff
2: no that's what i mean but okay no but you're writing it (laughs) which is incredible but you're i mean is it not based on some of the things i've done
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah.
2: So can you imagine if you were writing about something that I hadn't done? In other words, we didn't even, it was all in your mind. Sure. And I'm not really your father. No, I am. Look, listeners, if I'm sounding a bit weird, um, you're going to know why in a sec. Um, And I don't want you to interpret my weirdness or my my somewhat jovial tone Mm. to disguise the fact. And I'm getting to it, but... I guess um, the listeners like me to procrastinate occasionally. Um, so let me just say also that uh, Christine mm. has had to go out on the balcony uh, where she's sitting out there with a, with a blanket over her because it's, it's cold.
1: It's pretty cold. So what you're saying is this procrastination is, uh, is subtracting time from her life because she'll get hypothermia and die. Mm. I guess what I'd like to know, Dad, is um, what were you going to tell them?
2: Well... My father um, has been unwell for the last, well, for for quite a while. Mm. And um, he passed away. He died. um, He died yesterday morning at Mm. 1 a.m. He went into a, uh, uh, he had a stroke, a very, very bad stroke. And um, what happened was... I'm organising the funeral, which uh, I've taken that on board because I understand all the technicalities of organising a funeral. Yeah. And I'd also like to be able to help the listeners out in terms of what they all should do, um, just basic stuff, even if it's not pre-arranged. At least have someone that's designated to handle all the funeral arrangements.
1: I actually started the process prior to my father passing away. Right. Sorry, can I just... Just a quick sidebar, and I'm sure Mm. I speak for a lot of the listeners. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Really? really good. What do you mean, really? Well, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be,
2: so... No, but we all handle things, you know, grief differently. Having said that, the funeral is next Friday.
1: Yes, okay.
2: So... You know, look, this is nice to be able to have a bit of respite. That's why I thought it would be really good to do this podcast. Yeah. Um, It's the second episode of a new season dealing with a particular topic. Mm. And then all of a sudden, because this was relatively unexpected. Yes. um, The timing, yeah. My dad. um, And I said to you and Tegan um, yesterday, I said, I'd like to talk about it.
1: Now, you were slightly reticent. Well, I was yeah. reticent because at that point he hadn't passed away yet and it felt a little bit, um, I guess it felt a little bit, the timing felt a bit odd, maybe a little bit strange. But now that it's happened, and I can tell by your voice that you are in a very different place to the place that I thought you'd be. Yeah. Um, or frankly, the place where I would be if, if you passed away. I, I mean... Yeah, I, but our relationships, you know, without going into all that sort of stuff. Of course. You know, we have a great relationship. Mm, of course. Um, and I, I mean, look... Does it feel a little bit odd timing-wise that we start a podcast about funerals and then you have to do one, mm. like, around episode two? Extraordinary. In fact, it's so, um, yeah, it's just weird.
2: But that's life and that's death and uh, we have no control over these things. Mm. Um, but there's there's some humour in the story. Um, one of the humorous things that the listeners will hopefully appreciate, well, I certainly did, Yeah was that because I'm the go-to person, I'd been uh, the nursing home. Um, they called the War Vets Nursing Home in Colorado Plateau, even though my father was not in the war. But um, we managed to get
1: him in there. I know the one, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's quite a big establishment. Look, the staff up there were mind-blowing. And I was the go-to person. I'm the person in the family that all calls come to. In terms You're, the ex- of- You're the executor, aren't you? Well, I'm the executor, but... Um, I'm also, I'd I'd taken on the mantle of organizing the process. So the rule, the rule, the the idea was that when my father passed away, now they'd had had some inkling that they were kind of giving it to us in hours, in multiples of 24 hours. So they'd contact us and say, look, we feel it's going to be 24 hours. Um, Nil by mouth, which means no fluids, no solids. And eventually they were giving him morphine as well. Uh, he'd suffered a major stroke. All the family had, had been visiting, uh, sitting with Dad. Um, pretty intense. Certainly not my cup of tea, I can tell you. And um, because everyone handles grief in different ways, yeah. Um, so I, I sort of did, you know, did what I did, and then sort of got out of there. Um, some members of the family were sort of sitting there for six, seven, eight hours which I could not do. But I'd been getting these phone calls and I memorised the number and it was a landline. And every time I'd get a call on this number, they'd be explaining to me exactly what was happening, in their opinion, how close my father was to passing away. Then yesterday at one in the morning, I get a call on my mobile. But because I've been dealing in antiques for about 40 years, and I have had over the years, my fair share... Of psychos that want to call me at two in the morning, either drunk or stoned. Who drunk dials antique call it antique dealers? No, but people that have got things for sale. Because when they're in suffering an altered state through methamphetamines or something, yeah. and they look over at their Barbie doll collection Which they' just... or or their matchbox <laughs> collection. And I'm not talking matchbox toys here, I'm talking a collection of matches in a big glass container that was big in the 70s. So I get these people. And unfortunately, my website did not say, um, it just said 24 hours. So I then don't have a right to say to the person waking me up at 1, 2 in the morning, what on earth are you doing? Because they just say, well, it says 24 hours, and they're correct. So this call comes through yesterday morning, yes. 1 a.m., Bearing in mind that every night for the last few nights, I've been going to bed vigilant, thinking that I'm going to get a call from the hospital
1: right, to say your father's passed. So you're pretty, you're pretty exhausted at this point,
2: right? And I'm really, really tired. And I'm just, yeah. I mean, you just don't know when it's going to happen. So at one in the morning yesterday, I pick up the phone, I looked at it, and it's a mobile number. Now, I knew that the hospital only ever called me on a landline. So I thought to myself, this is some idiot Calling me to, to buy antiques. So I didn't answer. And I went back to sleep. Fucking hell. 30 minutes later, I yep. get a text from my sister... Oh, God. ...saying, John, as you didn't pick up, they called me.
1: Oh, they called her. Shit. Okay. Okay.
2: So she then... And we had, we had some procedures in our family. Yeah. And I'm not sure... Look, I know that all families are different, but hmm. there are some members of the family... That we were going to contact the second it happened, yep. no matter what time of the day or night, mm-hmm. other members, we would wait until the morning. That's That, that, that was at their request. There were various people that requested various times to be called, and I fully appreciate that. So I then set things in motion, and um, because I'm organizing the funeral, um, I got in touch with the lovely uh, funeral director that I'd already had... A- an extensive almost three-hour meeting with the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, And for for people that have not organised funerals, even when you are totally or relatively unaffected because my father hadn't died at that stage and I know the business really, really well, yeah, it was still quite demanding in terms of the information that they require. So perhaps if listeners would like to uh, write in and ask questions for maybe
1: our Friday episode.
2: Maybe we can talk about.
1: Oh, I'm. I'm sure you will have some extensive. I, I. I. Look, I don't want to use the word updates, but I'm sure you will have some pretty big updates. You know, very soon on this stuff. I, and again, can I just reiterate? Are you? You're doing okay, right? Yeah, no, I'm. Look, happy as Larry Hagman. I don't know who that is. Are they happy? He was who? on.
2: Um. He was always happy because he lived with. Um. He was on my Dream of genie. Right. So oh, I'd be, I'd be very happy. Yeah, because you know. Barbara Felden.
1: Was that her? No, it was Barbara...
2: <laughs> Fuck, what is it? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Anyway, she no. was foxy. If I was married to a genie of the opposite sex... Um...
1: Oh, come on. You get a genie of the same sex. Any genie's good. Barbara Eden, Dad. Barbara Eden. Who did um, I say? You said Barbara... Felden, said Bar- and she Barbara... was
2: uh, Agent... 99. She?
1: 99. 86 was Maxwell Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 99 was Barbara. But then Barbara Eden in I Dream of Jeannie, she was just woof. Anyway, we are getting so off topic, uh, which is probably a a good thing. I mean, if there was ever an excuse for going on tangents away from trauma, this is probably a Mm. pretty opportune moment to do it. Uh, Okay. One of the things that is interesting about this is that you... Last week, we began talking about the fact that you... You spent quite a few years working at a funeral home and you ended up running it and we hinted at the fact that you applied for an ad in the paper. Now, let's say you've just gotten a job at a funeral home, Dad. It's not a stretch to ask you to inhabit that specific hypothetical because you did do that. You applied for the job, you got the job. Could you talk myself and the listeners through your climb up the ziggurat of duties and what kind of jobs you have I think it's a ziggurat ziggurat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you want to write that in a memo, <laughs> Paul? I think we need to go back a little bit. Okay. So you've got the job. Mm. So it's your first day at the place. Now, yep. what are your what are your duties involved? Because if somebody signs up at a new job, let's say for example, you are working at McDonald's and they say, okay, this is how you make a cheeseburger. This is how you empty the slop bucket. This is how you apologise to people for working at McDonald's. Like, what are the What are the different duties that he that you were kind of eased into? Well, it's a very,
2: yeah, it's a very austere environment, Mm. it's a very serious environment, at least that's what I thought. Um, what do you mean? Well, it's a funeral home, and the funerals are fairly serious. I mean, you're saying
1: saying you thought it was austere? Is that
2: well? It had that, it had that Paul of um, not P A U L, sure. The Paul, what's how do you spell the other Paul?
1: I think P A double L.
2: Uh, that's it, yeah, it had that Paul of. Of sort of um because it's a it's a it's a tradition uh, in that industry that um look it's fairly I mean it's relatively somber, mm-hmm. let me put it that way. And my first job there was just to uh clean cars.
1: Now you've mentioned that the actual ad recruiting you was to clean yeah, cars. Just
2: clean right. cars, like a general you know, uh dog's body.
1: But you did you ever clean police cars or fire engines when you worked in the in Never, those jobs? Ever. So that's a step down, technically. No, no, no. It was a second job, and it was a
2: look. I didn't care. I'd worked in a car yard, Paul, detailing cars for two years as a second job. When? And it was a shit job. But they were nice people. But you know, it was all weather. Cars had to be detailed. You know, on the lot, you've got to make them all presentable for sale.
1: I guess I'm just really, I'm truly, truly curious about because one of the things about a um, about a hearse is it is so vital a part of the aesthetic of a funeral at least from what i what i understand people are watching it as it pulls up they're watching it as things are unloaded i assume then that the, it's pretty important that these things are cleaned properly, absolutely
2: right? beyond immaculate and okay. uh, most funeral companies traditionally use black and if you own a black motor car you'll know that they they are a bit of a challenge to keep clean but when they are clean mm. they're beautiful but they also have to be immaculate inside because you've got members of the family that can be picked up from their private homes um, conveyed to the church or the crematorium yep. or the temple or the synagogue or, you know, depending on the religion. Um, now, God, there's just so much information. But <clears throat> let me just say, Paul, that Kinsella's funeral home, did I mention last week that... It was Australia's oldest registered business.
1: You may have been. It was registered in 1830. Eight, okay.
2: And the very first married couple that established that particular funeral home in 1830, a husband and wife were both ex-convicts. Really? So that, that, that is a part of Australia's history. And it went on to become the... Paramount number one funeral home in Australia.
3: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
2: They did all the state funerals. They did. They had a, they had um, horse and carts. That it was not uncommon at a big funeral to have twenty horses pulling the hearse. Now, down, clearly on George
1: Street, that was not a thing when you were working there, obviously. But in your dealings with funeral homes throughout the emergency services, by the time you saw the ad and you know came in and applied to clean their cars as a side job, as a side hustle, when you were working at the fire brigade for some extra dosh, did you did you know who they were? Had you had dealings with them? Had you dropped off bodies to them? Had you had you seen them around the traps, so to speak?
2: Okay, I I know that we. Some years ago, you and I in the early stages, either of the podcast, but I'm also relatively sure in your first book. Yeah. Do you recall that when I used to go to the morgue as a police officer, they've got what's called the police room. And in that police room, you know how I've told you about tow truck drivers touting at at the scene to get the tow? Oh, yeah. Because it's worth a lot of money and, and, you know, bikey gangs and look, it's... Even to this, even to this day, like a few days ago in Perth, there was a major incident with bikies, um, who were tow truck drivers. Yeah, because there's so much money in it. Wherever there's money, there's corruption. <laughs> okay. And in the funeral industry, there is so much money
1: and so much corruption.
2: Not necessarily. Cor- I definitely wouldn't say that. But <laughs> what I would say, <laughs> yep, yep, is that I was approached when I was a, a young constable in the police room by yep. two. Funeral directors—they were walking in amongst the police in the police room at the mortuary at the at the Glebe Morgue, which at the time was the largest morgue in the Southern Hemisphere—and mm-hmm. they were touting for business.
1: Now, they, what do you mean touting for business? Well,
2: they were they were handing out their their business cards, not to the that, bodies, presumably to the no people no no around. to okay. the police, just okay. the police—and <laughs> they were saying that if you're at a deceased, of which police invariably go to—I mean, in summer you might go to. If you're unlucky, you could do maybe three or three or four a week. Right. So imagine you're the first police officer there. Your general duties: it's not suspicious persons died in their sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're talking to the relatives. Can you imagine if you were to say? Because quite often the relatives, as everyone, as all the listeners are going to become more and more aware. Yeah. It's there's so much information, and it's quite confusing when you don't understand all the protocols surrounding you know, this business. Okay. So it was quite easy for a member of the family to say, oh, look, we just don't know what to do. And and how easy would it be for a police officer to hand them a card oh, from a funeral a, home and, 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 and get, get a, commission, a kickback? Or? Kick, yeah. No, sweet. You are so sweet, Paul. That is so lovely of you to say commission. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry.
2: It's, no, it's lovely and it's, it's just so nice to hear that because... It's not a commission, it's a kickback. It's a, it's a fucking kickback. It's, it's a bribe, it's illegal, uh, yeah. and and it obviously used to happen. And I was such a young, conscientious police officer, and I was so shocked by these two guys in black suits, even having the conversation, having the gall to talk to me, yeah. that they were talking to everyone in the room. There would have been 20 police in the room, uh, and this is sort of early 80s. I mean, just the fact that these funeral directors had... Almost this sort of, um, I won't say permission, but it was just part of the job. You know what you make them sound? They would be, sorry?
1: They sound like buzzards. Yeah, buzzards. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Low flying and coming in for the kill. (laughs) Jesus Christ. No, but there's so much money in funerals, as as you will get to hear. But but here's the thing, Paul. mm -hmm. To this very day, I was so paranoid about corruption, because I didn't want to get the sack. Yeah that I wrote everything down in my official police notebook about what had happened. And I showed it to the sergeant when I got back to the station and he would have thought, I don't know what he would have thought, but he explained to me what was going down and he just said, look, just don't get involved. Yeah, so that's uh, an aside. But when I got the gig at uh, Kinsella's, Barry Mm -hmm. Kinsella, who was probably the great, great, great grandson of the the original convicts, He interviewed me and when he interviewed me, he interviewed me for the position of shit kicker, car polisher, guy that'll sweep the garage, just doing shitty jobs around the place whilst the core business was handled by the experts. Gotcha. However, when I had that interview in the family home, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: which was a magnificent, somewhat austere, 100-year-old house at the time, full of antiques and beautiful Photographs, and it was really, really interesting. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, and for those of you that may not know this, or may or may not know, but I actually did play the trumpet from the age of about twelve. Yes. But the thing is, Paul, that I think Barry realised that maybe he had someone that perhaps could do more than, uh, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not belittling, or under, understating, or underplaying, you know, that important aspect of the funeral industry in that someone you know has to keep everything immaculate of course but i think he perhaps saw some potential let's put it that way
1: yeah absolutely
2: and as the story unfolds all will be revealed i very quickly i mean obviously when i started there you know i was sort of wearing daggy clothes because i was just going to be working in the in the garage
1: well just cleaning cars yeah but you're not going to wear you're not going to wear a three-piece suit to polish a fender are you
2: no but i didn't have a three-piece suit i didn't have a suit and then Barry one day said, look, John, um, and he gave me some information about where to go. And uh, he said, I want you to go to, th- go to this location. And, uh, and before I knew it, I was being fitted out with a suit. Really? Yep. And very rapidly, I... And it was a bit of a weird situation because I was a little bit aware that uh, I was kind of the new, the new guy.
1: Mm.
2: But I felt that I was going to be sort of rising through the ra- ranks rather rapidly.
1: Did you did you have a bit of a rep because you were you know ex cop anything like mm, that? Yeah,
2: you know I just I didn't want to tread on any toes, sure, um, because there were people that had been there for a long time and perhaps would never have made it all the way up to the to the very top. Because one of the key things you re- you need is um, extreme emp- empathy, uh, obviously, because you're dealing with uh, lots of terrible situations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what I'd like to do is try and figure out what your first actual job was there. Not, I mean, like a funeral job, you know. Like- oh, okay. Well,
2: look, we had all the cars. So, we had these um, Ford, LTD, black uh, kind of limousines, four-door, um, immaculate. But we also had the hearse. Yeah. And the hearse was a uh, like a Ford Fairlane or something like that. And it had gone to some special body uh, workers and what they do is they kind of cut uh, and then extend the length of the uh, the vehicle Oh okay. and they create a hearse. And a hearse is primarily, it's got a bench seat in the front mm-hmm. and then, so that's how three, um, generally, or when I was working for Kinsella's, it was three guys in black suits and they're all fairly squashed together. hmm And on really hot days, you really had to crank the air conditioner up. And then you'd have a sheet of glass that sort of not protected, but cordoned off the hearse section. Now, the hearse section... um, What about the his section? Yeah, that's good. Um, Did you make that up just then or had you been working on that?
1: Uh, No, it's because I can always tell you enjoy a joke when you say, that's good, Paul. That's a very funny joke from... Mm. No, that was relatively funny. You say you, you turn into yeah. Spock whenever jokes happen with me. It's
2: mm. no, I yeah. So the thing about a hearse that we all know is that you can see into it from the sides, mm-hmm. from the back. It's 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 sort of something that's on show, right? Yeah. Look, it's um when you're working for a funeral home, the hearse is a is a really special piece of um uh, it's a it's a piece of equipment. It's one of the tools of the trade, and it's got some really fancy. Uh, Things about it, like have you ever thought about when you have a coffin in a hearse, how you actually stop the, ho- the hearse from moving around? Oh, shit, sorry. The horse. No, no. How you stop the coffin? I mean, can you imagine if you hadn't, if you just put a coffin in the back of a hearse and you just if took you off?
1: Ju- if you strapped that to the back of a horse, it's gonna move around, Dad. True, and what but- if you strapped it to the back of a, What if you strapped it to strap? And what if you strapped it to the back of a his?
2: <laughs> Paul, one joke. <laughs> Per what, podcast, please. What if it's
1: his, what if it's his horse? Hearse? Paul. Is it a
2: his or hers? There have been a lot of comedy skits over the years where they've forgot to um I mean, <laughs> write how a many, fucking ca- sketch. <laughs> how many famous comedy sketches have you seen where the vehicle, the hearse is travelling along the road and something happens and the the coffin just out. pops out, flies mm. out. And sometimes, you know, if I don't know how, but if it's on wheels it... it you know, it has a mind of its own. Mm-hmm. It creates all sort of havoc. But when you put a hearse, uh, when you open the hearse and put the coffin inside, mm-hmm. there are these special adjustable um, massive screws that you don't generally see. Mm-hmm. And they, once the coffin's in place,
1: you then have these adjustable rods. Hang on. You- so, wait, wait. Let me get this straight. Hearses have <laughs> screws. Horses have shoes. <laughs>
2: Paul, come on, mate! Fuck's sake! I'm throw Jesus! Up.
1: <sighs> Apparently, uh, bootleggers used to use uh, coffins and hearses quite a bit to ferry alcohol. Well, that's a good around. idea. Yeah, they didn't
2: think of using a ferry
1: or horses. I think you're gonna have to cut some
2: of this out, Paul. No, okay, cool. I little- Okay, cool. It's yeah, so look, it was uh, yeah. There are many, many facets to this industry. But look at the back of the garage; we used to keep the coffins, and there were. Uh, uh, at times, they'd have 30 coffins. What? And they were not cheap.
1: Hang on. Sorry, you're storing... Are the are bodies in these coffins?
2: No, no. They're, they're just... They, they used to get delivered every few oh. weeks. Okay. You okay. put orders in for them. Yeah. Um, do you recall, Paul, um, last week I mentioned the dreaded folder with the <laughs> photographs of the
1: coffins? Oh, you mean like the IKEA catalog? Yeah, of- and and I
2: and I was involved in that. The listeners may recall um, mm. when I had to bring out the dreaded folder. Well, no, just,
1: to be, just to be clear, what you mentioned on Friday's episode that you had been to a funeral home to inquire about a funeral, and just to be clear, it was for your father's funeral, correct? That's
2: right. But we, no one knew that when we were doing the episode.
1: No. Okay. So I mean, I did, but I didn't want to, you know, press no, it no. at the time. But so you've been through a real version of the catalogue thing very recently.
2: I went through that last Friday and did I say to the listeners that I actually said to the lovely lady, I said, do you mind if I actually check out the actual coffins? Did I say that? You did, yes. And then I went inside and there were the coffins, including the most magnificent wicker basket. There were ones with photographs of the ocean, but... The coffin that I... Now, this is a little bit of a delicate point with me and the listeners here. Sure. But my family... Mm -hmm. um, uh, How do I put this very delicately? Uh, Cost is not an issue. However, Uh, on principle, um, my mother, every time I see her, is talking about being buried in a uh, reusable coffin. And I have every single time I see my mum... She says the same thing, and every time I say, Mum, we have health regulations in this country, you cannot use a coffin twice. But I understand that to use a recyclable green, you know, organic uh, material or even recycled materials, I think it's a fantastic idea. So you can't
1: it's not like shopper bags where you've got to take it to you can just chuck your onions in there twice. No, 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 no. There there are major health
2: concerns. But Mm. What the point I'm alluding to is that I made it quite clear that I wanted um, a very cheap coffin. I mean, yeah. to, please don't think any worse of me, listeners, um, because a cheap coffin actually doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a cheap. You can say cheaper. So the price of coffins, for for the lovely listeners, I'll just give you. Um, I'll give you two figures. Let's start at around about fifteen hundred dollars. And okay. let's go all the way to fifty thousand dollars.
1: Piss off! That's okay. more than a that's more than a car.
2: Uh fifty thousand dollars. Do you recall the story of the Batesville Coffin we had in our house for no. all those years? No. Can are you, you joking?
1: Do, now put a pin in that. That's next week's episode, baby. All
2: right. Well, that, that's, I want I want well, this to be the listeners are in for a treat.
1: Yeah, Batesville Coffin. I'm, hang on, I'm going to write this down.
2: Also, we used to do the engraving at the funeral home for the names. We had an engraving machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we used to uh, put the beautiful... um... Look, a lot of people, when they look at a coffin from the cheapest up to mid-priced, and they look at the beautiful chromed handles and the the crucifix and the name plaque, and they look at everything, but spoiler alert, it's all chrome-plated plastic. What? Yeah. It's not metal? No. What? Well, it would be just so expensive.
1: Yeah, but what if I want to get... Buried in a science fiction egg. You can be,
2: you can be buried in whatever you like, Paul. Um, really? But you'll pay for it.
1: Yeah, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I did. That's why I'm dead. I think, honestly, I heard recently, and I thought you might like this, that Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek and his wife, uh, their ashes were shot into space. That's nice. Isn't that great? You get to kind of become one with the stars. And there's another... Um, Another thing I read about recently where they effectively break down your biological matter and wrap you in this kind of hemp bundle in this special sealed bundle around the base of a sapling and then you become the tree. That's lovely, yeah. So it's a nice way to kind of reconstitute...
2: Paul, not everyone... Look, you and Tegan said something to me a few days ago and I was, at first, I was shocked that you both said it because you said it separately. Hmm. And then it made me realise because you wanted to know if you die and you're not buried, and you were cremated, you've said to me, oh, but why do they have to go into a coffin to get to the crematorium, didn't yeah, you? And Tegan said the same thing.
1: Well, yeah, and then I, burning the body, yeah.
2: And then I said, but do you mean to say you'd bring the body to the crematorium in a sack <laughs> and just sort of somehow or other haul it in and... No, no, that's not what happens. No well, look, matter what happens, yeah, unless of course you decide to donate your body to a university to a medical department uh-huh and and, of course, you can donate, which will be another episode about donating to various parts of the body, or you may even if you have a mm-hmm. forensic bent, mm-hmm. you may decide to donate your body to a forensic farm where they'll bury they, the body the, and yeah, then- they bury,
1: and then they get to basically unearth the body and pretend it's a sort of discovered body I know they had a forensic farm in Virginia for near Quantico for the FBI they would basically have this it's called the body farm and mm. you would go there mm. and young agents would have to find a body uh, diagnose do an aut- not diagnose it's dead do an autopsy all that other stuff yeah but I think the interesting thing here is that you mentioned a, a massive, massive misunderstanding about the way cremation works. And how about next week on Loose Units, we talk about cremation because I think there's a lot of stuff to dive into there, and a lot of, if you'll excuse the pun, hot burning issues. And we can, if you, if anyone has any questions about cremation misconceptions, already lots of you have messaged in. Should I add that? Also. Echoing the sentiments that Tegan and I expressed saying, do you need a coffin to cremate someone? So we can start there and Fantastic. you can walk us through. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm i pretty sure you're going to have some interesting stories about specific times you oh, cremated people. So. Mate,
2: I've got so many stories. Could but I think it's so. in the early stages. I know we started off with a big story last week. Um, yep. But, you know, in this time I've had a bit of a chat about, you know, the family and my father. Mm. And the, the, the big funeral, the mass, is this Friday. Yes. So I might mention that. Um, in future episodes, just to let everyone know how that went. Yeah, um, of course. But in okay. terms of, look, uh, I'm not just saying this, but I'm really, I'm fine. I'm absolutely just, you know, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm happy that my father is no longer because he was in agony for about yeah. mm, probably three years, uh, in agony. Yeah. So uh, he needed a double hip replacement, but he couldn't get one because his kidneys were functioning at ten percent. And for any medical people out there, they will understand. Um, and he had a pacemaker, and when I was being uh, not not well, when I was um, organising the funeral yeah. a few days ago, one of the questions that that every funeral uh, home will ask you, the person that's organising it, is did the deceased have a pacemaker? And that's a really important thing. Uh, and when we start talking about cremations, I will explain um, what can happen if you don't remove the pacemaker there's all there's hell to pay but also uh, a, a classic story uh, where we had to uh, you know look I, I won't go uh, that's just a teaser it's about a pacemaker you know, okay. body. It's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a ripping yarn
1: amazing and we're looking forward to it and I'm sure everyone sends you um, you know their their love and their best wishes dad and we'll obviously keep everyone updated on stuff but otherwise take care of yourselves and we will see you very very soon for more loose units. Fantastic.
0: Bye. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.